I will be reading Colossians 1, 15-20. The Son is the image of, all, of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Uh, Today is our home Bible studies. You can go to just about any uh, major sporting event and likely see people holding up signs. And it's not unusual when you see the signs, you'll see John 3.16. In fact, you almost come to look for them as you're kind of painting the crowd or if you're in the crowd and look for that sign. And that's a good sign, is it not, to to show for God so loved the world that gave His one and only Son that whoever believes in Him will not perish but have eternal life. That is good news. And that's a great sign to to show at any time, but especially a sporting event. But I've been thinking, I've never seen anybody hold up a sign that says Luke 9.23. And I think there's a reason for that. Luke 9.23 are the words of Jesus, just like John 3.16, but they're a little more challenging. They're, They're a little more difficult to hear. Look at the screen. These words are not quite as comfortable as John 3.16. If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Those are the words of Jesus. And I can see why we don't hold up Luke 9.23 more often. Yet this message is important because there'd be no John 3.16 if there wasn't a Luke 9.23. The two go together. John 3.16 emphasizes belief. Luke 9.23 emphasizes following. But there's no true belief if there's no following. If you look in the Gospels and you kind of track the life of Jesus, what you'll notice about five times, He says, believe in Me. More than 20 times, He says, follow Me. I think that's worth noting. In this series we've been going through, we're talking about hearing the clear call of God to follow Jesus 24-7 and trying to unpack that and study that. What does that mean? What we've learned, especially from this passage, it means that we deny ourselves in a word we used a couple of months ago completely. We don't even look in the direction of ourselves. But then we add to that that we die daily. You take up your cross daily. And the word we use is committed And the word we want to unpack today is follower. So we're a completely committed follower. If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. I know as we've gone through this for the last several months, one of the questions just comes to mind, it comes to my mind, and I think to yours too, okay, I got it. How do we do that? Tell me how it's done. And I know what you're looking for. Because I know what I'm looking for. I want a list. Give me four things. Tell me the five things. If it's ten things, if it's twenty things, tell me what that involves and I'll do it. Got my pen ready. I'm going to write them down. I'm going to stick them in my refrigerator. I'm going to put them on my phone. 
I want to, I want to be committed to that and do those things. But what we are learning is that following Jesus is not just about doing, it's about dying. And we talked about that a lot last month, you remember, about take up your cross daily. We live for Jesus. That means we die to ourselves. That means we surrender ourselves. We surrender everything. We surrender our thoughts. We surrender our family. We surrender our future. We surrender our jobs. It it just goes into every fiber of our being. And I know there's a tendency for all of us to say, you know, okay, I'm there. You know, I, I will surrender. But tell me what to do. I still want that list. You, you know, tell me to pray 15 minutes a day. I can do that. Tell me to come to church every Sunday. I can do that. Tell me to be a part of a Bible class or a small group. Okay, I can do that. Tell me to read my Bible every day. I can do that. And we need all of those things. I believe we should be doing every one of those. Those are scriptural things, but that's not what it means to follow Jesus. It's not. Because if we're not doing those things from a surrendered heart, it's just motions. It's just religious rituals. It's good stuff. It'll make you a better person. Be a lot more pleasant to live with. Maybe a better worker. A better neighbor. But that's not what it means to follow Jesus. If you're not really dying to self as we've been studying... They're just empty practices, vain religion. So this message that we've been talking about is, is very challenging. And if I could, what I want to do today is I want to, I want to ask you to think. And so if, if taking notes and filling the blanks distracts you, put your pen down. If it helps you to concentrate, get out too. Because I really want you to, to stick with me with this. In fact, I want you to think about it like this. Imagine you're at home. Going about your business, it's a Saturday, a day when you've got a lot of things to do, and you hear a knock on the door, you're not expecting anybody, you go to the door, and it's me. Kind of awkward, because you didn't expect me. And so, in that awkwardness, you kind of go, well, well, hey, well, come on in, and, and I do, and I said, I apologize for not telling you I'm coming, but we sit down at your kitchen table, and just looking eyeball to eyeball, I want to ask you a question. And the reason I want you to think about it in that setting is because whenever you ask a question in this kind of setting, it's easy to think about it hypothetical. He's talking to everybody else. It's one of those preacher questions. It's not about me. I hope somebody else is listening. They needed this. But I want you to think about this question is to you. It's your question. And here it is. Are you a completely committed follower of Jesus? That's the question. Are you a completely committed follower of Jesus? Now I know when you hear that question, your response is probably like mine. Yeah, yeah, of course I am. I've been to church all my life. But I'm not asking you if you go to church. You might say, well, well, yeah, if you knew the family I grew up in. I mean, you know, I couldn't help but be a follower of Jesus. I'm not asking you about your parents. I'm not even asking you if you've been baptized. I'm not asking you if you pray. I'm not asking you if you give. I'm not asking you if you serve. I'm not even asking you if you believe in Jesus. The question is, are you a follower? Because I think what's going to happen one day, Jesus is going to return. It's going to be that moment of judgment. And there are going to be countless people who thought they were followers. And Jesus is going to say, no, no, you're not. 
you're really just fans. And I know it's kind of uncomfortable to think about. Hey, well, that's somebody else. That's not me. But what if it is you? What if it is you? Have you ever discovered <clears throat> as you were driving that you're on the wrong road? Has that ever happened to you? Or maybe I should say, when's the last time that happened to you? Because I think we've all done it. I was thinking about one time, probably the first time I was driving back from uh, uh, the, the Nashville airport. It was late at night. If you ever navigated through that, you know, it's a little tricky. You know, when you get to where I-40 hits Interstate 24 and it becomes 440, it's, it's a little bit of a roller coaster there. You know, you feel like a Hot Wheel on the track. Now, for the record, I love driving in a big city. I love when there's five lanes and they're all going fast. To me, it's a challenge. I like to get in there and go with them. So, so I kind of like that. But this night, I didn't like that. It was late at night. I was tired. I was distracted. I don't remember exactly who it was. I was picking up at the airport. Uh, maybe one of the kids or something. And, and obviously, I wasn't paying attention because I went through that interchange and it ended up on I-24 headed to Chattanooga. And the reality was, I was way down the road. I wasn't to Chattanooga, but I kind of woke up, if I can say it that way, and I looked around and I think, I'm on the wrong road. And again, I was tired, it was late at night. Biggest thing, I was probably distracted, listening to conversation in the car, going through there. You know, some of those turns too, you're just on a lane and it just takes you, and you're not even, you just kind of come out and you're on the road again. I just assumed I was on the right road. Missed all the signs. Miss, miss, miss them all. In fact, it's when I kind of noticed that this doesn't look like 440. You know, I should be getting to 65 to, to head south, and it wasn't there. Have you ever even allowed for the possibility that you might be on the wrong road? I want you to, for the next couple of moments, let that be your prayer. Let that be your question. And just allow for that possibility. In Matthew chapter 7, Jesus talks about two different roads. And this is also a hard passage. At least it is to me. Look at verse 13. Enter through the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction. And many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life. And only a few find it. So many people are, are on the wrong road and few find the narrow path. And, and here's what I'm wondering. Is it possible that we think we're on the narrow road and we're not? We think we're right, but we're wrong. We're actually on the broad road. Is it possible that you've kind of set it on cruise control? Kind of a little highway hypnosis? Maybe a little distracted with the world and you're not even aware that you're on the wrong road, just kind of going through life? Is it possible that we think everything is fine and when in reality, everything is not fine? Now, I share all this, and I'm not trying to make you paranoid. I'm not trying to, to uh, just bring about a lot of fear. That's not my intention. I think you know this already, but it's worth saying. I believe what the Bible teaches that we are saved by faith through Jesus Christ. It is a gift from God. I believe in Him who is able to keep us from falling. I believe that nothing can separate us from the love of God. But I also believe what the Bible teaches here. There are those who think they will be saved and they're not saved. Those who live this life and they have a false assurance of their salvation. 
They think of themselves as followers, but they're not really. As Jesus is saying here, they're on the wrong road. So the question is, what if? I want you to ask yourself that. I think there are some who say, well, I'm a Christian, and someday they'll find out they're not. And what if on that day when Jesus returns, His words are true? And there's a lot of good church-going folk who find out they're on the wrong road. I'm just asking, is it possible? Let's keep reading. Look at Matthew 7. Pick up in verse 21. Now everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. So Jesus is describing the day of judgment here, and it pictures the scene where people will stand before Him, and, and they called Him Lord on earth. They said all the right things with their mouths. They think everything is fine, but what they're finding out is it's not fine. In fact, it's, it's tragic here. So in this study, what we've been asking, are you a fan... Merely a fan, or are you truly a follower the way Jesus defines it? And in this verse, the question is asked kind of in the shadow of the judgment day. What does that mean? So let me ask again, are you a follower of Jesus? Because there's some questions we can ask ourselves in Matthew 7 to make us maybe think a little more objectively. So one question we can ask ourselves from Matthew 7, do you think you're a Christian just because you say you're a Christian? Do you think you're a follower because you say you're a follower? Notice the contrast he makes in verse 21. Now everyone, Jesus says, now everyone who says, Lord, Lord, and then he says, only he who does. Now, if you like to write in your Bibles or underline, maybe you want to circle those two words, says and does, because he makes quite a distinction here. There's a line drawn between the two. Everyone who just said, and all they've done is just said, Lord, Lord, you go over here. But all of those who've lived, Lord, Lord, then you go over here. And he makes that distinction. See, I know it's one thing to confess with our mouth. It's another thing to confess with our lives. I think that's what he's teaching here. But I understand what you're thinking because it's what I'm thinking. Okay, I I am a follower. I mean, I am a follower, really. When's the last time you took care of a widow? When's the last time you took care of an orphan? I am a follower. When's the last time you did something to feed the hungry? I am a follower. When's the last time... Well, well, just tell me this. In your marriage, if you get to a point where things are tough, you don't feel the love anymore, your spouse no longer makes you happy, what are you going to do then? Are you a follower then? I am a follower. Well, help me understand what it looks like then. If you're a follower, what does it look like when you put your kids to bed at night? What does it look like in your home in those moments? I am a follower. What about when you're watching TV or going to the movies? Can you watch things that are just so opposed to God in the name of entertainment? I mean, what do you do? What do you do with that? What do you do? If you're a follower, what do you do when you know your coworker? doesn't believe in Jesus, doesn't know Him. See, it's one thing to say it, but Jesus said it's another thing to do the will. Imagine it like this. Say C and I were going to go on a long trip, like a mission trip, and it's going to be a month long, kind of too long to kind of leave your house you know, unattended. So we get a young couple at church to come and help us out and sort of house sit for a month. But to do that, you, know, you kind of have to prepare, you know, and, and there's a lot of details there. 
So Sina make a little notebook. And we've got a, a page for everything important. There's like a, a whole page about the pets. Here's their names. Here's their, their, their personalities. Here's uh, what you feed them. This is where you feed them. This is how you feed them. There's another page about plants. If you've been to our house, you know Sina's got a lot of plants. And you water this one this way, and you turn it this way, and you do this, and here's all the instructions about all the plants. Then there's a, <clears throat> a page about trash day, recycling, uh, newspaper, mail, packages, you know, how to deal with all that kind of stuff. And then there's a page, and we, we all need that, a page about the idiosyncrasies of the house. You know what I mean? Every house has all the weirdness, you know. There's that hallway uh, toilet in the hallway bathroom that the handle gets stuck sometimes. you got to jiggle it just right. Don't leave until you know it's working. You know, every house has those. There's a whole page of all those things. And then maybe a page about emergency stuff. You know, here's where the control panel is, or, or maybe the water's shut off, and maybe some emergency numbers. And, and this young couple, they're going, oh man, this is organized. Love the notebook. And they assure us before we leave, we've got it covered. All is good. Y'all go on your trip. We've got the notebook. All is good. So we leave for a month, have a fantastic trip. We come back, and we notice as we're pulling the driveway, this mound of garbage out by the garage. And you can tell the animals have been in it, and it's just a mess. And our heart sinks and goes, oh no. And so then we go in the house, and we see all the plants have died. It's not good. And I go by the hallway bathroom, and yeah, I hear the water running. And I wonder how long has that toilet been running the water. And I look out the window, and I see these little mounds in the backyard with these little makeshift tombstones. These pets that weren't fed and watered, but at least they're buried, I guess. And I'm thinking, what's going on? So we hook up with this couple, we, we visit with them, and we say, I'm glad to see you. We're glad you're back. But the first question on my mind is, what about the notebook? You remember the notebook? And, oh, we, we love the notebook. That was so good. We got together as a couple. We read it every morning. In fact, at this point, we've got some of it memorized. In fact, we highlighted. She liked this part. I liked that part. What am I thinking? I'm thinking I have the words of Jesus. Away from me, you evildoers. Right? I mean, why could you even think about it? I know that's silly. Arthur Gordon put it this way. Nothing is easier than saying the words. And nothing is harder than living them day after day. Question two. Do you determine you're a follower of Jesus by religious measurements? Do you determine you're a follower of Jesus by religious measurements? When you said, are you a follower? Did your mind immediately go to, this is what I've done? For the Lord. Kind of this is my track record. This is kind of my history, your accomplishments, your rule keeping. I think here's where some get it wrong. Some get that the walk has to match the talk. Be doers of the word and not hearers only. If you love me, keep my commands. But note what Jesus says here. Look in verse 22 and following. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, do we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. So they defend themselves saying, look what we've done for you. We prophesied. We drove out demons. We performed miracles. And I read that list. Let me be blunt. I'm pretty impressed. Because I've never drove out demons. I've never performed miracles. You? 
So I read this list, I'm thinking, wow, that's pretty amazing. They do all that and they're not getting in? Well, if they're not getting in, then I'm not getting in for sure. It's easy to read and think that way. But that's not the point. Jesus, I think, in these words, in this verse, is using these impressive things to make a point. He's making a point. It's not about your religious accomplishments. It doesn't matter how impressive you think your following is that makes you, uh, your rule keeping that makes you a follower. You can come to church every Sunday. Never miss a one. You can volunteer every time when you're asked and then some. You can give to an orphanage. Maybe even be a missionary in Africa. You can follow all the rules. You can make up your own rules. I'll never go to R-rated movie. I don't ever do this. And do well with all of that. And be like the Pharisees. And you start thinking you're a follower because of all of these things you do for the Lord. Look what I've done. Look what I've done. Look at the good works I've done. But that's not what determines if you're a follower. Question three. Do you know Jesus? Do you know Jesus? Or really from the context, the way we should probably phrase that, does Jesus know you? Look at verse 23. It says this to these fans, the ones that thought they were in, I never knew you. I never knew you. Really, this is the determining difference. It all comes down, do you know Jesus? And again, we kind of on autopilot, well, of course I know Jesus. Heard about him all my life. Been to church all my life. I teach a Bible class. I read my, you know, all these things. I know Jesus. I'm not asking if you know about Jesus. And again, this is where we sometimes get it confused. Do you know Jesus? Does he know you? Does he know your heart? Do you pray to Him like that? And you just share your, your every emotion, your anger, your joy, your anxiety, your worries, your dreams, your goals. It's all His. Do you invest more in your relationship with Him than any other relationship? See, here's, here's what happens to us. Sometimes we think we know somebody. Think about it like this, like maybe your favorite actor. You ever feel like you know them? I mean, you watch them in a movie or a TV series and they play that actor so well, in a way you feel like you know them. You can maybe even predict their words. Because you see them often. And you can read about them online. And, or maybe it's your favorite musician or, or whatever it is. Maybe it's a politician. You think you know them. But really all we know is what people say about them. We don't really know them, do we? We just know about them. And we can hear all kinds of talk about Jesus. Gather with others and sing songs about Him. And we can confuse that with our own relationship with Him. We can confuse knowing about what it means to really know Him. Go to church, sit in a class, be a part of worship, but not really pray to Him about everything in my life. Not really surrendering like we've been studying here. Not really listening. We know about Him. So a moment of truth. Are you a follower? You know, it takes a lot of courage to admit, no. No, I'm not. Maybe I'm more like a fan. Deep down, because you know, I've not really sacrificed for Him. It's not really cost me a lot. I'm still pretty comfortable. Or maybe you admit, you know, it's hard for me to say, but I'm just a Sunday Christian. Whatever that means. For the most part, I come to church on Sunday, but that's maybe the extent 
of my following. And I confess, I put another relationship over my relationship with Jesus, or maybe I've chosen stuff, or I've chosen my career, my job, or, or sexual pleasure, or other kind of things. Or maybe, maybe it's what other people think of me that comes first. Though you may not say it aloud, has there been any conviction? See, because back to your kitchen table, if it's that moment of conversation, one more question, question number four. What's keeping you from being a fully, completely committed follower of Jesus? Since August, we've been studying what it means to be a follower. But these last three months, we've been studying from Luke 9, 23 especially. This one verse about following Jesus, the not denying, the, the dying. Yet at the end of Luke 9, what we come across, just a few verses after His words in Luke 9, 23, are these three would-be followers. In fact, in your Bibles, it may even have that. One of my Bibles had that as a paragraph heading. Would-be followers. What you notice here in verse 57, because what we see here in them, I see in me. And maybe you, you see in yourself as well. Because in a way, we're not much different from them. Look at verse 57. As they were walking along the road, a man said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. Isn't that a great thing to say? I will follow you wherever you go. Wherever. And Jesus replied, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay His head. Jesus explained, if you're following, just know, I don't have a hotel reservation tonight. I don't have a home. I'm homeless. Are you sure about your following me wherever? And what He's saying here, He's challenging the man about his comforts. His expectation to be comfortable. He's going to see who wins in this situation. And I can't help but wonder if that's one of the, the things that keeps you and me sometimes from following the Lord because we like being comfort. We're creatures of comfort. We're drawn to that. It's like we don't want pain. We don't want a challenge in a way we like it the way we like it. Our lazy boy. Our hot tub. Our casual comfy clothes. We like our comfort. And what we learn from the mouth of Jesus, you can't be comfortable with the cross on your back. No matter how much you shift or squirm, comfort's not a part of it. It's not about what I like or what I prefer. As Dietrich Bonhoeffer put it, when Christ calls a man, He bids him come and die. The cross is not comfortable. Not how we define it at least. But look at the next section. Fan number 2, verse 59. Jesus said to another man, Follow me. But the man replied, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, Let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Sounds kind of harsh, doesn't it? Even, even heartless. But scholars were pointing out the fact that this man's father had not already died. In fact, had he died, he wouldn't be there with Jesus at that moment. He'd be back home taking care of family and arrangements. So it's not that his father is dead and they're waiting to bury him. He's not died at all. And what we understand in the Eastern culture, that tradition, you would stay with your father until he died and then you got the inheritance and then you would begin your next chapter of your life. Kind of do as, as you need to, want to at that point. But Jesus calls him to follow. Instead of where, as the first man, the point seems to be here, when? When are you going to follow? And he's saying, one day, someday, 
But Jesus, is, is the question is, is now. I think that's what a lot of us can do with a sermon or a study or a moment of conviction or maybe a time with a good friend where we're talking. I know I need to be baptized and I will one day. I know I need the Lord and I'll come back to Him one day. But that later becomes never. Then the third fan, verse 61 Still another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. Again, it's best to kind of put this in the, the culture of the, the context of the culture there. To say goodbye to the family was not like a, a hug and a kiss and, hey, mom, dad, I've got this incredible opportunity, this amazing challenge, I'm, I'm leaving. It would have been this, this delay, this festival, uh, this process. That's what he was saying. Not really a matter of where or when, like the first two. But what? A matter of priority. And Jesus is saying, I'm not looking for somebody who's half committed. Because to Jesus, that's, that's, you're not in at all. It's to be completely committed. Not part-time followers. Your heart has to be in it. I love the story of the prophet Elisha. When he was called by God in 1 Kings 19, we won't go there for our study, but it's a great chapter. Go and read it. Because when the chapter opens up, it just says, Elisha was plowing in a field with 12 yoke of oxen. 24. Now, you and I would read that, and we kind of got the mental picture. But what that said to anybody reading that in that day and culture is that Elisha is doing well. It'd be like you and I are reading a modern novel and it said somebody named James and he's uh, uh, driving a F, uh, Ford F-150 pick up a new one and it's fully paid for. What's your impression? This guy's got it made. He's doing well. Most of that age don't have a brand new car paid for. Okay? That's the image here. So he gets the call of God and what does Elisha do? You go and you read the text and he, he doesn't say, well, as soon as the harvest is in or when I get to the end of the row, there's no delay there. You read it, he takes his plow, chops them up, makes a bonfire, slaughters the 24 oxen, calls the community in, they smell a barbecue, they have a feast. And you know what he's communicating? This life is over. I'm not coming back. That was the message for Elisha. Maybe to his family, maybe to his community, but most of all to himself. Burn the bridge. And the point there, maybe there needs to be a fire for you. And in a way, I'm talking, you know, symbolically, but maybe not. Maybe you need to light a fire. Pull off that grill. You hadn't used it in months and months during the frozen season. Light a fire. Put something whatever it is for you, that competes for your allegiance. And what you put on that fire may not be what I put on that fire, but what do you need to put? Maybe it's a magazine subscription. Maybe it's your satellite dish. Maybe it's your gaming system. Maybe it's makeup or, or some clothes or, or, or whatever it is for you that's competing. I said, I'm not looking back. I cannot afford to be unclear about this. Because in a matter of seconds, I'm not talking about the invitation song, that is coming in a matter of seconds. But in a matter of seconds, we're going to stand before the Lord and the one question, have you decided to follow Jesus?
That's our song. That's our invitation. Why don't you come as we stand and sing and worship?